0: Working for Ag and Development has amazing global, national, professional and very personal impacts. And you don't necessarily have to have an ag background to find yourself working in a field in a developing country, helping farmers to better feed their families and earn an income from their very small plots of land.
1: For the young people you're going to meet in this series, passion, resilience and ingenuity made that a reality. Join us as we meet the next gen with their boots on the ground in ag for development. Welcome to the Crawford Fund podcast series by Generation Ag. Marie is a dietitian from Melbourne, Australia, with eight years' experience in international development, academic, and clinical settings across the Asian Pacific region. Currently, Marie is head of nutrition for the UN's World Food Programme in Laos. Prior to joining the World Food Programme in Laos, Marie worked in Italy in the World Food Programme headquarters and previously with food and agricultural organizations of the United Nations in Italy and Sri Lanka. Marie has been involved in several nutrition-sensitive agricultural programs focusing on improving nutrition statistics for women of reproductive ages from 15 to 49, children and adolescents as well. Marie has been keen and has explored an interest of evidence in agriculture's contribution to nutrition and food security throughout nutrition programs in the Asia-Pacific region. (laughs) The Crawford Fund is a charity that highlights the benefits of research for agriculture and development to Australia and developing countries. This involves Australia training in-country scientists and farmers to improve food and nutrition security.
0: This supports young Australians in their careers, studies and volunteering in Ag for Development. We're excited to be working with the Crawford Fund on this podcast series because they celebrate and promote the study, careers and volunteering in international agriculture provided to Australians with personal and professional benefits that have a real impact in the country where the work is being carried out. Initiatives of the Crawford Fund provide skills and knowledge of real benefit to Australian agriculture
1: and their work is a broad range of pathways to career opportunities both with international agriculture but not limited to agriculture which is exciting so it includes science social science finance communications law environmental science health and nutrition economics and business so it's a mouthful of stuff it's really exciting and we can't wait to work more with the Crawford Fund and we're so happy that so happy. That they are a supporter of this podcast.
0: We can't wait for you to meet the amazing guests in this podcast series. So, here we go.
1: So, I'd love to start off with thank you so much for being here. Could you tell us a little bit about your childhood and your connection to agriculture?
2: Sure. Thanks so much um, for for having me. Um, So I grew up on a farm in the outskirts of of Melbourne with my grandparents and parents. Uh, So uh, almost everything I ate, my family grew and reared themselves from fruit and veg uh, to livestock and olive oil. And it was really through my grandparents that I learned about growing food and food value chains and the importance of good nutrition and how agriculture can, can support that. Uh, As I grew up, actually, my parents also ran a a food distribution company, um, uh, you know, in parallel with the farm. Um, So it was through their company that I learned about how food moves from the farm to the consumer. So through this, I always knew I wanted to work in the food industry, but also wanted to apply the science behind it as well and and find ways that others can also enjoy nutritious foods. Um, I'm also Greek-Australian and, and cooking and, and good quality food is really important to my culture. So cooking meals from scratch with my family and sharing that meal together was, was really nurturing and deeply fulfilling. And it was a way, of course, that we show love and affection, but the, also the importance of, of nutritious foods and um, for health and well being and, and how we've actually procured that food ourselves. So it was really, yeah, um, that my upbringing that, that brought me that connection to agriculture.
1: What was it like growing up in on a farm that was on the outskirts of Melbourne? Could you share some of your favorite memories with
2: us? Sure. So, I mean, actually, so when I when I first grew up, because my grandparents actually don't speak English, so um, my first language was was Greek. When and and I was surrounded by many Greek people that also helped um, in different parts of our farm as well in beekeeping and um uh and you know keeping the pigs in line and um and the chooks uh, um as well um away well the foxes away from the chooks so um it was a really nice way uh to grow up really I I was outside all the time um of course when I started school I would come back to the farm in the in the afternoon and um and it was really um a lot of hands-on learning and Um, I mean, it wasn't easy for my grandparents. Um, They had migrated to Australia and really building up the farm took a lot of uh, time. My grandma, I remember, was up often at at four or five o'clock in the morning um, and up till very late as well. So, uh, you know, it's a really hard work, but I really saw how important um, it was for our livelihoods and, and my future, but also, you know, in terms of our own health and nutrition. Um, as well to be consuming the food that we grew, but also helping others that we um, that we sold that that food to. Particularly, um, beef was one of our main um, you know ways that we um, would support our livelihoods in, in selling that beef. So, yeah, it was it was great actually, and I uh, I, um, I really love that life and and that time in my life
1: so what was the process obviously you're on the farm as a child and i'm assuming through your teenage years coming back in the afternoons when did you decide that you were going to study to become a dietitian when when was that sort of started to impact you
2: so i guess it was as i started you know in in secondary school um um, you know there was that choice of selecting different kinds of subjects um, rather than just the um you know w- what you had in primary school um so you know I started to take a more interest in health and human development um and and science and it was really through that that I realized oh I can apply all that knowledge that I learned on the farm and that I saw every day um you know into a science-based career um so uh, you know uh, it was really through that that I that I kind of felt Okay, perhaps you know. I, do I become, uh, you know, an agronomist or or a farmer, or do I go into kind of nutrition side? So, because I enjoy cooking for others and exploring other cultures through foods and and really learning from others about how food is sourced and prepared and consumed at home, at work, and with others, um, I I kind of took that road of of, um, of nutrition and and going down the road of becoming a dietitian. Uh, and I really feel like that food really brings people together. It helped break down a lot of differences and and even communication barriers. So it was really um, uh, you know through that that i that I decided to become a dietitian. I also feel that uh, sometimes there can be quite a bit of mis information about um, nutrition to consumers, and it can get really confusing. There's lots of food claims and labels and um, and food forms so much part of our life, but also causes a lot of uh, confusion at times about w- what is like, uh, important for us to eat for our health and, and well-being um, and, and what should we avoid. So uh, I really felt that uh, it could be a way that I, I could um, work with other people and engage um, uh, to make it easier uh, mm. for people to, to make those decisions.
1: Before we jump into some more nitty gritty, I'd love to know from your perspective as a dietitian, I think definitely probably since COVID in the last 12 months, a lot of people are a lot more aware. I think they've had the time to like take a little bit more time in what they're eating and how they're eating. But how has COVID, and I guess as well since sort of the birth of social media and how people can influence other people, how has this affected or impacted your job?
2: Uh, Yeah, so you're exactly right in terms of Um, People did have um, more time to play a role in in their enforcing food and cooking at home because they weren't able to go out and rely um, on food, uh, sorry, and and eating food out. Uh, But one way that it really um, affected, um, you know, my career is that a lot of people actually, you know, lost their jobs because of COVID um, and that led them to, you know, taking out different coping mechanisms to support their food and nutrition security. So um, that, you know, and and making kind of those changes within the household um, to, you know, perhaps consuming cheaper items because they've, you know, n- they've lost part of their income um, due to COVID. And so that was really something that, um, you know, we often take for granted that, you know, of course we, we prioritize. Many people prioritize good food and nutrition, but um, sometimes that's not possible. And and food market chains changed dramatically during COVID as well. And people's practices in terms of, um, you know, what they would were purchasing and what they were consuming. So, um, I would say that that was probably the biggest thing that I saw in my work in development of how it changed in that it was so connected to people's livelihoods. Um, and and that really changed what they consumed, um, you know, throughout COVID. Um, I also think that, you know, if I if I look at, you know, friends and family in Australia and, and when I was speaking with them during COVID, one thing that changed a lot is um yeah is is cooking and making things from scratch and that really made me really happy so it was those that were able to do that um and um and had the time to to take that interest and they would often ask me questions as well about oh well you know have you made bread before or um you know I was thinking of, of making this cake from scratch rather than using a cake mix and could you you know give me some information about that so um, yeah, I, I think that's also a great way that um, a, a positive side of COVID as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely been some really good positives, especially when people are reflecting on their health and that all works together with mental health and people's abilities to get on and function. So, yeah, it's so fascinating. So you started working with the Crawford Fund after attending a conference in 2018. Can you talk about the opportunity to work in agriculture with the Crawford Fund and sort of what this has
2: led to? Sure. So um, I found out about the Crawford Fund through my teaching role at Deakin University in Melbourne, which I had many, many years ago. Um, and it, it took me um, by interest because it was around this time in 2000, around 2015 to 2018, there was quite a boom in how agriculture and nutrition was linked. Because um, usually these are seen quite as siloed activities, which I find really surprising. Um, so uh, the Crawford Fund supported me to attend a conference in Canberra um, and it was there that I networked and, and learned so much also about how um, agriculture is, um, you know, the, the kind of opportunities of agriculture within Australia and within neighbouring countries as well. Um, so I um, was also fortunate to have a mentor, uh, Ted Hayes, who I'm still in contact with um, now through the Crawford Fund who's taught me a lot about uh, the links and opportunities um, in agriculture and, and and not just seeing it from there's agriculture, there's nutrition. There is so much within agriculture that's linked to nutrition um, that maybe I would have never really thought of actually, like beekeeping, for example, and how important that is for nutrition. Um, so uh, a lot of the opportunities that I've seen is just through my learnings and then applying that to my work in development. Um, And um, I'm volunteering as part of the Crawford Fund for the Victoria Committee. Uh, And again, it is through that learning and the connections that I can apply in my job every day working in Laos to improve the nutrition and food security situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've just mentioned Laos. I'd love to know because you've had some amazing assignments working overseas. Could you talk about some of these or what what's actually entailed or where you've been and what you've done? I mean, you've been to Mexico,
2: Cambodia. I'd love to know about it. Sure. So uh, my first exposure to working overseas um, was short-term volunteering um, in Mexico and I also had a, a short time in Cambodia. So Both of these uh, uh, positions involved working with young children in an education setting and and supporting the school meal program that was set up uh, as part of the school. So there's a lot of great evidence around school meal programs in that uh, when children are going to school, they have an incentive because there's a meal provided, but they're also, um, you know, that's a third of their daily nutrition needs that they're provided at the school. It helps with concentration and retention, Uh, so it was really great fun in both of these positions but what I soon came to realize was that it was just for such a short period of time that I felt I benefited a lot more from the experience than the organization that I volunteered for probably did so this was quite an important lesson for me and it really paved the way for my career in development and how I viewed my engagement in this sector so A couple of years after I graduated from my master's degree at Deakin University, I became an Australian volunteer for international development. Um, So my first assignment uh, was in the Philippines uh, with the Nutrition Foundation of the Philippines, which is a small NGO based in Manila. So, um, you know, when we think about nutrition in the Philippines, our attention often is focused on undernutrition. But uh, and whilst this remains a serious public concern, uh, data shows that undernutrition is actually declining, and we're we're dealing with this kind of triple burden of malnutrition, where overweight and obesity and micronutrient deficiencies, particularly anemia, are increasing. So um, we saw that in the Philippines um, as a opportunity. Of course, it's a huge challenge, but um, we could see that the trend was particularly rising in adolescents. So. Um, my main role in um, in my work in in the Philippines was uh, to work with an amazing team of nutrition and agriculture specialists to coordinate and implement a Nutri Garden school program. So what this program was, it was integrating learning and gardening for secondary school students, so for adolescents, um, which is an age group often forgotten by development agencies when they work in the education sector. So there was a garden within the school, um, and um, there was also classroom learning as well on nutrition and, and agriculture. And a lot of the food that was actually growing in the school went to the school meal program to support school lunches. So um, that's amazing. Yeah that's, a, that's, yeah, that's a bit about my experience. Yeah, in that- Philippines, Mexico, and Cambodia. <laughs>
1: For a lot of people, I I don't think there are as many people as what we'd like who have actually gone and been a part of this. What 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 is it like seeing these third world countries? And obviously, you're there for a small period of time. But what's the impact like on your? How do you reflect and then come back to Australia, where we seem to have an abundance of everything? What's that experience really like?
2: Of course working in the development context and um in in developing countries is is really interesting i've been now it's been six years um i would say that i've i've been uh in in the sector after my time in the philippines i moved to sri lanka um and then um i i moved to italy to work um with the with the organization the food and agriculture organization and the world food program in their headquarters uh and now i'm in laos and I think every country is really different and, and so are the people, their food culture, the way they grow food and prepare and consume food. So it's really interesting that I can be a part of that and, and live as well and really immerse myself in the culture rather than just kind of reading about it and providing advice when I don't really know myself. So, you know, of course I go to the market uh, and, uh, you know, my you know, my experience, of course, is different to everybody else's. But you know, I I get to procure my own food and 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 see and go to the market and experience a completely different food culture, and then that helps me apply that knowledge to to my job. Um, but yeah, it, it is sometimes a bit of a struggle when I do come back for visits to Australia and also my upbringing in Australia and to see how some people do take. Uh, the abundance of food that we have for granted. And there is just so much food waste as well that comes with that. So um, that's hard to balance, but I try not to be too critical rather than just taking it as an opportunity to share my stories with people whether it be through mediums like this or or just in conversations with friends and family, um, you know, to share my experience and and what things we can do in Australia um, to kind of, yeah, reduce that food waste and also um, really appreciate what what we do have um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the appreciation is so important,
1: but unfortunately I think a lot of the time it's not until you're exposed to it firsthand that you really see how truly lucky we are as a country. And I hope that COVID has proved that to a few people as well. So what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned since working overseas? I'd love to know. I'm sure you've got an abundance.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I guess like similar to what I said before, I think it's Every country that I've been to and and everyone that I've interacted with um, is so different and it's important um, to really not be judgmental and and have an open mind and and take a genuine interest in in understanding others' cultures um, and the way that it's not only through food, but it's through everything um, that people do and, and being respectful to that too. And understanding the similarities, but also the differences. Um, trying not to become too frustrated at situations um, and um, really taking each day as a new day of course you know bringing it back to COVID briefly we would have never expected um, you know something like that this to ever really happen and and how it really changed our lives and and so just really trying to take every day as the next day and one step at a time um and um being open to learning from other people um and and remaining curious um it's is really something I uh, i've learned and and being flexible as well uh, uh i think that's one of the most important things and and adapting sometimes you're going to be in situations that make you feel uncomfortable um and of course if you're unsafe that's you need to take yourself out of that situation as best you can. But sometimes feeling uncomfortable can um, can also be a good thing uh, because it shows that it's really different to what you've experienced before and it moulds you and, and shapes kind of the person you are and your perspective as well. Uh, and it also shows, like I said, that genuine interest um, in understanding um, in, in culture and, and respecting that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be the, m- one of the biggest lessons. Yeah, for sure.
1: So can you tell me about your current role? Cause you've got a role in Laos at the moment, is that correct? And you're working on nutrition and food security. I'd love to know more about this role, but also how you are able to facilitate this from Australia at the moment.
2: Sure. Um, so I currently am the head of nutrition at Um, the World Food Program in Laos. So um, I've been in Laos for about six months now. um, And um, one of the main um, issues that's currently facing Laos in terms of nutrition and food security is the triple burden of malnutrition. So as I mentioned previously, what was facing Philippines many years ago is now um, an issue in Laos where stunting and wasting under nutrition is still a significant concern, but overweight and obesity uh, is increasing, particularly amongst adolescents and women of reproductive age. So uh, part of the work as in the World Food Programme that I do is a programme called Agriculture for Nutrition, but specifically we focus on farmer nutrition schools. So one of um, the components of this project is that we have uh, learning modules, for learning modules that are delivered over a course of two months um, in a number of different provinces and villages, and they are mainly focused on um, nutrition, so infant and young child feeding, um, as well as uh, dietary diversity for women of reproductive age. As we know, it's important for them to have good nutrition in preparation for pregnancy and caring for children. So... Um, the modules are, like I said, developed and and um, delivered over a two-month period and delivered by uh, those that are in the villages already. So they have a strong link with the community. Um, they speak the local language um, and um, they establish a relationship with those living in the villages. And we usually focus on women, but we also have men as part of these modules um, where it's imparting knowledge about nutrition but also about growing uh and procuring your own food within your home garden so part of the program when they complete the program is they receive a cash grant um and the cash grant goes towards a home garden or the purchase of small livestock that um uh, that we encourage within the household um to support food and nutrition security so that's just one project and Um, But, of course, there are many other parts of my role in that I provide technical support and uh, guidance with my team um, to the government on uh, the nutrition and food security strategy for the country. Um, We also have a school meal program. So, of course, I use a lot of my learning from the Philippines and Cambodia and Mexico to apply to this program where we provide meals to to school children. Um, And we also provide support to farmers uh, in the form of a what we call food for assets, so um, you know building ponds or uh, building infrastructure within farming land and and providing food to support that kind of building as well. So uh, there's many different projects. It's really interesting. I I've been in Laos physically there uh, just up until recently, and I've I've come home for a short trip back to Australia. Um, the great thing about my role and the, what COVID has done for for the UN and many many organisations, um, is that we can work remotely. Um, so wherever there's a good internet connection, um, we can connect with the with the team. So of course it's not the same. I'm only in Australia for a short time, and, and next month um, we'll be we'll be heading back to Laos uh, for another year at least. So um, and I'm looking forward um, to that uh, next chapter of my life as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously you say that you're working remotely at the moment, but um, is COVID still a big issue over in Laos as well or it's not not as bad or how, how do you go a day-to-day once you go over there and start getting back into it on a sort of normal capacity, I guess?
2: Sure. So I was really fortunate. I moved actually from Italy where I was last year uh, to Laos in late, last year and during that time COVID was really under control in Laos. There was no community transmission and at the time Laos had not recorded any deaths from COVID. So for the last six months that I've been living in Laos, um, day to day we've had a very normal life. Uh, We have been going to the office 100% of the time. Uh, We've been able to travel within the country which is really important for my role to village to visit, sorry, the villages that we implement our programs in, Um, it's very difficult to provide support and really understand um, the groups that we support without having met them and without having physically seen uh, the infrastructure or, you know, the the area in, in which people live. Um, so we've been able to travel and have even large events. So we've been super fortunate. However, it was um, around a week before I left Laos uh, this time, so last month, um, where uh, cases had increased um, and mainly from um, uh, border towns as well. So Laos, is, as you may know, is a, is a landlocked country and shares a border with five different countries. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Currently, Laos is in lockdown, um, which means that there isn't any internal travel and work is all remotely. So, of course, a lot of our work has changed and the implementation of our programs are actually on hold at the moment. Um, One thing that we, we do... To support schools and and children um, is we instead of providing school meals because their schools are closed we're providing what we call a take-home ration. So um, we deliver the food um, to home for those children. Um, So we've had to adapt our programs quite a lot. And um, I mean Laos is still very fortunate in that COVID, um, you know, is still remaining low, but um the you know the country's trying to keep it under control. Particularly with this outbreak, with the lockdown, so hopefully um, it can it can be lifted soon, so that we can resume our programs and support the community as best we can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get your advice for anyone who's not working directly in agriculture, but are hoping to potentially get into for development, what would be your best piece of advice to move into this area of work, uh, especially like yourself? You didn't directly study an occupation that was in agriculture. What would you say for people wanting to be interested in moving into this area?
2: So um, I think one thing, and I, I may have mentioned it earlier that I really learned, is that there's so many links um, to agriculture and nutrition, um, but it often takes talking to people and networking to really understand those links. Sometimes even from reading, you can't really see it, if that makes sense. It's sometimes easier to hear from people's experience um, and how they've applied it. So I would say... Networking is is really important. Um, the sector is quite small, um, and it is really about people who you know. and And through events, um, whether they be online or in person, um, you learn a lot about um, other organisations, how people have applied these links, and and how people have got in the sector if they haven't studied a traditional agricultural role. Um, I think it's important, particularly if you want to work in development, to have a really strong understanding of international policy and international relation, you know, follow, follow credible news sources or listen to podcasts about this really helps. Um, and also having a really strong understanding or insight into your own local environment and food system. So how you source your food, where, where that food comes from and what influences your choices. Um, I would say that that's really important. For example, if you're coming from a from a nutrition background, um, another thing is is that exposure. So when possible, um, get out there and out of your comfort zone. The Australian Volunteers Program that I was part of in the Philippines have assignments across the Asia-Pacific region and, and you can go from anywhere between three or 18 months. So, of, of course, at the moment it's with COVID it is difficult, but, um, you know, in the future it's a really set-up program and you, you get training throughout and, and the positions are financially supported. So even though it's called the Australian Volunteers Program, it's, it's still um, financially supported. Um, and... I think lastly, and this would be my advice really to, to people um, who may have thought about this career but, but not delved into it much, is just to be really open and flexible. Um, I think there are many ways that we can support international development. Um, and, um, you know, as you can see, like I've, I've moved, you know, many different countries, worked in school meal programs, worked in maternal health programs, agriculture. So, you know, there is a lot of links there. It's, it's, it's just about kind of taking and being open to, to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we have a lot of students who listen. So I guess, would you be able to get a little bit more specific? So uh, a student who's 16 or 17, potentially about to leave school, where would they go to like, what are these networking groups? What are these groups or potentially even particular universities, which will help the foundation for them to get into a similar position or area that you're in?
2: Sure, yeah. So, I mean, there it even could be, through the Crawford Fund there's many different opportunities for learning um, and um, there are often groups within universities um, as well that are are around food systems or uh, sustainable agriculture even within the local community so I know where I am at the moment in Melbourne the the Darabin um, uh, you know community centre has a lot of programs set up if you're interested in um, working overseas or working for example with refugees or asylum seekers, there is many groups around this too. For example, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre that is always looking for volunteers, um, which is a great way to to meet people um, that are also interested and and have that exposure. And that obviously sets people up for a career later on when you've got that kind of insight and perspective um, and that experience um there is also through a lot of different associations as i mentioned the crawford fund um you know there's nutrition australia dietitians association of australia so it depends i guess on the kind of key areas the person wants to study in um but there's always an association that kind of supports the learning and and provides opportunities um, in the field that um that one may be interested in and and you may not even be interested in, um, in it initially, but then after some exposure, you realise, oh, this is actually super cool and I'd like to learn more about it. So, um, yeah, again, going back to my, um, to my point about being open and flexible to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, I'd love to know before we wrap it up, tell us one outstanding memory of working in Ag for Development so far.
2: Oh, this is such a difficult question. I would say I, you know, I've had lots of experiences. I, I was in Ethiopia many years ago for for a short time, and and that was a really um such an interesting experience in the way um that that meat, for example, was was uh, killed on the day and and consumed that day because of lack of refrigeration. And so even like you know working and, and and living on a cattle farm I, I hadn't seen it in that way before you know so that was one of the kind of oh wow you know that's a different way and and I want to learn more about that um, also recently learning about um uh, cultural practices around Laos um, for example foraging food from the forests and unusual animals and insects so for example recently I tried silkworms um which were quite nice actually um but i'd never done that before so you know learning how these are prepared and consumed and of course what the nutrient content of these foods are and how these foods can not only support nutrition outcomes but how we can actually use this knowledge to maintain indigenous crops and indigenous um ways of, of preparing food so that that part of our or others cultures is not lost um So, yeah, there's so many, but I would say that those probably are two of the big ones from Ethiopia and Laos. Absolutely. How
1: interesting. And lastly, before we go, where can people find you or learn more about you if they're interested? There is that amazing blog up on the Crawford Fund, but I'm sure that if they want to get in touch, where can they come?
2: Sure. So I'd be happy if people have questions or want to get in touch to learn more about my experience or if they have questions about uh, working in development um, or about the Australian Volunteers Program, people can just search me on LinkedIn um, and send me a request or, or a message. That's no, no problem at all. Um, and, uh, yeah, read the blog as well on, on the Crawford Fund website, which gives a bit more information about my experience too.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. I think it's been really fascinating. We've never spoke to someone who is a dietitian, and the, the fact that you're working on all these amazing projects or have been around the world and the perspective that you can bring in, you're really changing people's lives by doing this. So it's been really interesting to talk to you. And it's another area of Ag for Development that. It's it's not really talked about. So to be able to bring a little bit of light and to be able to share your story has been so in, interesting today.
2: Well, great. Well, I hope it's helpful to people and 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 thanks for inviting me to to speak about my experience.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Crawford Fund podcast series by Generation AG. If you enjoyed this episode, sit tight for the next one to arrive in about a month's time. Visit CrawfordFund.org to find out more about the Crawford Fund or head on over to social media and find them on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. See you next time.